Book Two, Chapter Three, of Robert Falconer, by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald, Chapter Three, The End Crowns All. His sole relaxation almost lay in the visit he paid every evening to the shoemaker and his wife. Their home was a wretched place, but notwithstanding the poverty in which they were now sunk, Robert soon began to see a change like the dawning of light, an alba, as the Italians called the dawn, in the appearance of something white here and there about the room. Robert's visits had set the poor woman trying to make the place look decent. It soon became at least clean and there is a very real sense in which cleanliness is next to godliness. If the people who want to do good among the poor would give up patronizing them, would cease from trying to convert them before they have gained the smallest personal influence with them, would visit them as those who have just as good a right to be here as they have, it would be all the better for both, perhaps chiefly for themselves. For the first week or so Alexander, unable either to work or play, and deprived of his usual consolation of drink, was very testy and unmanageable. If Robert, who strove to do his best in the hope of alleviating the poor fellow's sufferings, chiefly those of the mind, happened to mistake the time or to draw a false note from the violin, Sandy would swear as if he had been the Grand Turk and Robert one of his slaves. But Robert was too vexed with himself when he gave occasion to such an outburst to mind the outburst itself, and invariably when such had taken place the shoemaker would ask forgiveness before he went. Holding out his left hand, from which nothing could efface the stains of rosin and lamp-black and heel-ball, save the sweet cleansing of Mother Earth, he would say, Robert, you'll just pit the swearin' doin' with the rest and score it oot altogether. I'm an ill-tongued wretch, and I'm beginning to see it. But, man, you're just behaving to me like God himself, and if it were not for you, I would just lie here roaring and grating and damning from morning to night. You will be in the morn's night, will not ye? He would always end by asking with some anxiety. Of course I will, Robert would answer. Good night, then. Good night. I'll try and set a sight of my sins once more, he added one evening. If I could only be a wee bit sorry for them, I reckon he would forgive me. Do not you think he would, Robert? Ne doot, ne doot, answered Robert hurriedly. They all say that if a man repents the right gate, he'll forgive him. He could not say more than they say, for his own horizon was all dark, and even in saying this much he felt like a hypocrite a terrible waste heaped thick with the potsherds of hope lay outside that door of prayer which he had as he thought nailed up forever and what is the right gate asked the shoemaker deed that's more nor i know sandy answered robert mournfully weel if ye do not know what's to come of me said alexander anxiously ye mount spare it himself returned robert and just tell him that ye do not know, but ye'll do anything that he likes. With these words he took his leave hurriedly, somewhat amazed to find that he had given the shoemaker the strange advice to try just what he had tried so unavailingly himself. And, stranger still, he found himself, before he reached home, praying once more in his heart, 
both for Dougal Sanny and for himself. From that hour a faint hope was within him that some day he might try again, though he dared not yet encounter such effort and agony. All this time he had never doubted that there was a God, nor had he ventured to say within himself that perhaps God was not good. He had simply come to the conclusion that for him there was no approach to the fountain of his being. In the course of a fortnight or so, when his system had covered over its craving after whiskey, the irritability of the shoemaker almost vanished. It might have been feared that his conscience would then likewise relax its activity, but it was not so. It grew yet more tender. He now began to give Robert some praise and make allowances for his faults, and Robert dared more in consequence and played with more spirit. I do not say that his style could have grown fine under such a master, but at least he learned the difference between slovenliness and accuracy, and between accuracy and expression, which last is all of original that the best mere performer can claim. One evening he was scraping away at Tolochgorum when Mr. McCleary walked in. Robert ceased. The minister gave him one searching glance and sat down by the bedside. Robert would have left the room. Do not go on, Robert, said Sandy, and Robert remained. The clergyman talked very faithfully as far as the shoemaker was concerned, though whether he was equally faithful towards God might be questioned. He was one of those prudent men who are afraid of dealing out the truth freely, lest it should fall on thorns or stony places. Hence, of course, the good ground came in for a scanty share, too. Believing that a certain precise condition of mind was necessary for its proper reception, he would endeavor to bring about that condition first. He did not know that the truth makes its own nest in the ready heart, and that the heart may be ready for it before the priest can perceive the fact, seeing that the imposition of hands confers, nowadays at least, neither love nor common sense. He therefore dwelt upon the sins of the shoemaker, magnifying them and making them hideous, in the idea that thus he magnified the law and made it honorable, while of the special tenderness of God to the sinner he said not a word. Robert was offended, he scarcely knew what, with the minister's mode of treating his friend, and after Mr. McClary had taken a far kinder leave of them than God could approve, if he resembled his representation, Robert sat still, oppressed with darkness. "'It's all true,' said the shoemaker. "'But, man, Robert, did not you think the minister was some sore upon me?' "'I do think it,' answered Robert. "'Something bears it in upon me, at he would not be so sore upon me himself.' There is something in the New Testament, some thought at's pitting it into my head, though faith I did not know where to look for it. Cannot ye help me with, with it, man? Robert could think of nothing but the parable of the prodigal son. Mrs. Alexander got him the New Testament, and he read it. She sat at the foot of the bed listening. There, cried the shoemaker triumphantly, I tell it ye so. Not a word about the poor's lad's sins. It was all a hurry and a scurry to get the new shoon upon him and win at the caffy and the fiddlin' and the dancin'. Oh, Lord, he broke out, I'm comin' home as fast as I can, but my sins are just like shoes down at heel upon my feet and will not let me. I expect nae ring and nae robe, but I would fain have a fiddle in my group when the nest prodigal comes home. And if I do not fiddle well, it's no be my white. Eh, man. But that is what I call good on 
the minister said, honest man, just leather till it. Oh, Lord, I swear if ever I went up again, I'll put in ilka stitch as if the shoon were for the feet of the prodigal himself. It shall be good work, O oh Lord, and I'll never let taste of whiskey into my mouth, nor smell of whiskey into my nose, if so be it I can help it. I swear it, O oh Lord, and if I be not raised up again. Here his voice trembled and ceased, and silence ensued for a short minute. Then he called his wife. Come here, Belle. Give me a kiss, my bonny lass. I have been an ill man to you. Nay, nay, Sandy, ye have I been good to me, better nor I deserve. Ye have been naebody's enemy but your own. Hold your tongue, your spaking war blathers, nor the minister, honest man. I tell ye I have been a scoundrel to ye. I have not ever holden my hands off of ye, and eh, ye were a bonny lass when I married ye. I have spoiled ye altogether. But if I were up, see, if I would not give ye a new goon, and that would be something to make ye like yourself again. I'm affronted with myself, and I have been such a brute of a man to ye. But ye mount forgive me, no, for I do believe in my heart at the Lord's forgiven me. Give me another kiss, lass. God be praised, and many thanks to you. Ye might have run away from me long or new, and anybody would have said ye did right. Robert, play a spring. Absorbed in his own thoughts, Robert began to play the e-way with the crooked horn. Hoots, hoots, cried Sandy angrily. What are ye aboot? Nay more of that, I have done with that. What's in the head of ye, man? What'll I play then, Sandy? asked Robert meekly. Play the land of the leal, or my nan is away, or something of that kind. I'll be leal to ye, new bell, and ye will not pray of the whusky nor more, lass cannot bide the smell of it cried bell sobbing robert struck in with the land of the leal when he had played it over two or three times he laid the fiddle in its place and departed able just to see by the light of the neglected candle that bell sat on the bedside stroking the rosiny hand of her husband the rhinoceros hide of which was yet delicate enough to let the love through to his heart after this the shoemaker never called his fiddle his old wife Robert walked home with his head sunk on his breast. Dual Sanny, the drinking, ranting, swearing shoemaker, was inside the wicked gate, and he was left outside, for all his prayers with the arrows from the castle of Beelzebub sticking in his back. He would have another try some day, but not yet. He dared not. Henceforth Robert had more to do in reading the New Testament than in playing the fiddle to the shoemaker, though they never parted without an error or two. Sandy continued hopeful and generally cheerful, with alternations which the reading generally fixed on the right side for the night. Robert never attempted any comments, but left him to take from the word what nourishment he could. There was no return of strength to the helpless arm, and his constitution was gradually yielding. The rumor got abroad that he was a changed character. How is not far to seek, for Mr. McCleary fancied himself the honored instrument of his conversion, whereas paralysis and the New Testament were the chief agents, and even the violin had more share in it than the minister. For the Spirit of God lies all about the spirit of man like a mighty sea, ready to rush in at the smallest chink in the walls that shut him out from his own, walls which even the tone of a violin afloat on the wind of that spirit is sometimes enough to rend from battlement to base, 
as the blast of the ram's horns rent the walls of Jericho. And now to the day of his death the shoemaker had need of nothing. Food, wine, and delicacies were sent him by many who, while they considered him outside of the kingdom, would have troubled themselves in no way about him. What with visits of condolence and flattery, inquiries into his experience, and long prayers by his bedside, they now did their best to send him back among the swine. The shoemaker's humor, however, aided by his violin, was a strong antidote against these evil influences. I doot I'm going to be, Robert, he said at length one evening, as the lad sat by his bedside. Weel, that will not do ye nail, answered Robert, adding, with just a touch of bitterness, ye need not care about that. I do not care about the dean of it, but I just want to live long enough to let the Lord know at I'm in doing right earnest about it. I have nay chance of drinking as long as I'm lying here. Never ye fret your head about that. Ye can trust that to him, for it's his own business. He'll see it you're all right. Not ye think it he'll let ye off. The Lord forbid, responded the shoemaker earnestly. It mount be a pittin' right. It would be dreadful to be lightin' off. I would not have him content with cobbler's work. I have it, he resumed, after a few minutes' pause. The Lord's easy pleased, but ill to satisfy. I'm sore pleased with your playing, Robert, but it's naething like the right thing yet. It does me good to hear ye, though, for all that. The very next night he found him evidently sinking fast. Robert took the violin and was about to play, but the shoemaker stretched out his one left hand and took it from him, laid it across his chest and his arm over it for a few moments as if he were bidding it farewell, then held it out to Robert, saying, Ha, hey, Robert, she's yours. That's a sore divorce. Maybe they'll have an extra fiddle where I'm going, though. Think of all Rotherden shoemaker playing afore his grace. Robert saw that his mind was wandering and mingled the paltry honors of earth with the grand simplicities of heaven. He began to play the land of the leal. For a little while, Sandy seemed to follow and comprehend the tones, but by slow degrees the light departed from his face. At length his jaw fell, and with a sigh the body parted from dual Sandy, and he went to God. His wife closed mouth and eyes without a word, laid the two arms equally powerless now straight by his sides, then seating herself on the edge of the bed, said, Do not bide, Robert. It's all over now. He's gone home, if I were only with him wherever he is. She burst into tears, but dried her eyes a moment after, and seeing that Robert still lingered, said, Gone, Robert, and send Mistress Downey to me. Do not grieve, there's a good lad, but take your fiddle and go on. Ye can be no more use. Robert obeyed. With his violin in his hand, he went home, and with his violin still in his hand, walked into his grandmother's parlor. How dare ye bring such a thing into my house, she said, roused by the apparent defiance of her grandson. How dare ye after what's come and gone? "'Cause Dool Sandy's come and gone, Granny, and left nothing but this ahind him, and this one's mine, whatsoever the other might be. His wife's left with, with a plaque, and I's warrant the good folk of Rotherden will not make say muckle of her new at her man's away, for she never was such a randy as he was, and the triumph of grace in her is but small, therefore. 
so I maun make the best at I can of the fiddle for her, and ye maun not touch this one, Granny, for though ye may think it right to burn fiddles, other folk does not, and this has to do with other folk, Granny. It's no atween you and me, ye know. Robert went on, fearful lest she might consider herself divinely commissioned to extirpate the whole race of stringed instruments. For I maun sell it for her. Take it oot of my sight, said Mrs. Falconer, and said no more. He carried the instrument up to his room, laid it on his bed, locked his door, put the key in his pocket, and descended to the parlor. He's dead, is he? said his grandmother, as he re-entered. Aye, he is, Granny, answered Robert. He died a repentant man. And a believin', asked Mrs. Falconer. Weel, Granny, I cannot say at he believed a thing at ever was, for a body might not know a thing. Toots, laddie, was it savin' faith? I did not rightly know what ye mean by that, but I'm thinking it was muckle the same kind of faith that the prodigal had, for they both turned and goed home. Deed, maybe you're right, laddie, returned Mrs. Falconer after a moment's thought. We'll hope the best. All the remainder of the evening she sat motionless, with her eyes fixed on the rug before her, thinking, no doubt, of the repentance and salvation of the fiddler, and what hope there might yet be for her own lost son. The next day being Saturday, Robert set out for Body Falls, taking the violin with him. He went alone, for he was in no mood for Shargar's company. It was a fine spring day, the woods were budding, and the fragrance of the larches floated across his way. There was a lovely sadness in the sky, and in the motions of the air, and in the scent of the earth, as if they all knew that fine things were at hand, which never could be so beautiful as those that had gone away. And Robert wondered how it was that everything should look so different. Even body faults seemed to have lost its enchantment, though his friends were as kind as ever. Mr. Lammy went into a rage at the story of the lost violin, and Miss Lammy cried from sympathy with Robert's distress at the fate of his bonny lady. Then he came to the occasion of his visit, which was to beg Mr. Lammy, when next he went to Aberdeen, to take the shoemaker's fiddle and get what he could for it to help his widow. Poor Sandy, said Robert, it never came into his head to sell her, no more nor if she had been the old wife that he called her. Mr. Lammy undertook the commission, and the next time he saw Robert handed him ten pounds as the result of the negotiation. It was all Robert could do, however, to get the poor woman to take the money. She looked at it with repugnance, almost as if it had been the price of blood. But Robert, having succeeded in overcoming her scruples, she did take it, and therewith provide a store of sweeties and reels of cotton and tobacco for sale in Sandy's workshop. She certainly did not make money by her merchandise, for her anxiety to be honest rose to the absurd, but she contrived to live without being reduced to prey upon her own gingerbread and rock. End. Chapter 3